0: Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of the tuneful beatful artful music teacher a podcast for music educators around the globe who are interested in the philosophy programs and resources of dr. John Feierabend and for everyone who just wants to chat about great music teaching in general the podcast is generously presented to you by the Feierabend Association for music education and hosted by me missy strong it is great to be with you again thank you so much for listening At the beginning of every episode, I like to take a minute or two to talk about what it's really like to be in the trenches of teaching every day. Today, I wanted to talk about something that I've been thinking of as the January-February-March corridor of the school year. The stretch of school from August or September to December is full of interrupted teaching time, between trying to get into the swing of things in September, then at Halloween you suddenly find yourself cresting the top of... A kind of roller coaster and then you swoosh down the first huge drop into thanksgiving and for any of us who are here in new jersey we have parent teacher conferences and then our big state educator convention where we have a few days off for that and then suddenly that crazy ride stops at winter break and i'm not even talking about all the concerts the assemblies parties sing-alongs whatever's happening then we have winter break and after break is over we get this lovely straight shot of instructional time. It can be tough to return to school in January without feeling at least a slight sense of dread after time off with family and friends. I'm just keeping it real. But I remind myself after break that this might be the most instructionally rich time of the year and push hard until spring break. It can get challenging though especially in the north when it gets cold and dreary which is more often than not But it's really important to capitalize on this relatively uninterrupted piece of teaching time and stay focused and thankful for this consistent piece of teaching space to make great strides in musical growth in my students. So I hope you are encouraged to do the same thing in your program. Now on to the show. Today, we are joined by three amazing music educators, Rachel Grimsby, Andy Heimlich, and Emily Morick, who are all FAME-endorsed teacher trainers, and even better for me, they are my dear friends. Before diving in, I want to tell you just a little bit about each of them. You're going to hear them share more specifics during the interview, and you can also read their full teacher trainer bios on the FAME website. Rachel Grimsby has 15 years of teaching experience at elementary, general, and choral music levels. She's currently working on her doctorate at Michigan State University. Rachel is the co-author of First Steps in Music with Orf Schulwerk and a contributing author to the new book, Fire Robin Fundamentals. She is fully certified in Kodai and Orff and is a famed teacher trainer for both First Steps in Music and Conversational Solfège Levels 1 and 2. Rachel lives with her husband and two beautiful children in Lansing, Michigan. Andy Heimlich has been an elementary music teacher in Carmel, Indiana, for 25 years and an associate director with the Indianapolis Children's Choir for 20 years. Andy holds the Kodai Certificate of Music Education from Silver Lake College and all three levels of Orff-Schulwerk. Andy is a teacher trainer in both First Steps in Music and Conversational Solfege Levels 1 and 2, and he is also a contributing author to Fire Robin Fundamentals. Andy was a presenter on GIA's recently released First Steps in Music for Kindergarten and First Grade in Action DVD, which I think you should get because it's fantastic. Andy and his wife Lori and their two children, Jaron and Jenna, live in Indianapolis, Indiana. Last and certainly not least is Emily Marek, who's been teaching general music since 1995 and is currently teaching kindergarten through fourth grade in Northwest Indiana. Emily is also an endorsed teacher trainer in both First Steps in Music and Conversational Solfege Levels 1 and 2. She holds a master's degree in music technology from Indiana University. Emily is currently serving as the FAME board secretary and is also the founder of a FAME chapter for teachers living and teaching in Northwest Indiana, Chicagoland. Emily, her hilarious husband, Coach John, and her awesome, totally cool son, Max, live in Valparaiso, Indiana. And I'm sorry that I'm not saying that right. We recorded this episode when we were all together presenting at the 2019 Indiana Music Education Association's annual conference in Fort Wayne, Indiana this past very cold January. Our chat centered around what First Steps means to all of us as music teachers and as teacher trainers. And we had a really rich conversation that I know you're going to enjoy and I hope from which you'll learn. For those of you who are brand new to First Steps in Music, you're going to learn a ton and hopefully get excited to learn more. And for those of you who are pros, it's going to hopefully affirm a lot of the things that you have felt about this program. So let's get to it. All right, well, here we are at the Indiana Music Educators Association Conference. So we're here, we're all presenting uh, at the conference, which is fantastic. Uh, We are here with three of uh, our fame-endorsed teacher trainers, but more than that, they are outstanding practitioners and really good friends, so I'm very thankful to be here with you guys. I hope in the future to do individual podcasts with you, but I just thought it would be cool to get together. Uh, I haven't said who you are. So what I'm going to do is ask each one of you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Tell us where you're currently teaching, if you want to say something about where you've taught in the past, Um, what you're certified to teach through FAME or otherwise, if you're... You've got other certifications. And then tell us a little bit about your coming to Fire Robin story. So we'll start here with Emily.
1: Hi there. I'm Emily Morick, and I teach kindergarten through fourth grade in Northwest Indiana with the Lake Central School Corporation. We have three towns that have a large district together. Uh, I teach at um, an elementary, one elementary four days a week, and the other one is one day a week and I am a first steps in music trainer, conversational solfege trainer as well. Uh, I came to Fire Robin back in 2008 when our district was transitioning from half day kindergarten to full day kindergarten and we really didn't even know where to begin. And we, we'd created the, the music staff a curriculum that we weren't super happy with, at least I wasn't. We had it, we were gonna just Think about it over the summer and then just start teaching ground running fall of 2008. But I was uh, hesitant and I didn't know why I couldn't put my finger on it. A friend of mine, she said well, you should uh, learn some infant and toddler things, and you should get some developmentally appropriate techniques for kindergartners. And I said, okay, where do I get that? She said, you're going to Google right now a guy named John Firehub. And I said, who, what? (laughs) Spell that for me because I (laughs) don't know what you just said. (laughs) And sure enough, I did, and he was presenting at Silver Lake College, and the rest was history. I packed up for, a, a, it was a week-long course at the time, drove right up to Wisconsin, didn't know a soul, and instantly knew I was in the right place at the right time, and that I was supposed to be there, and the first 10 minutes of John talking, just I, I just knew things were going to be different, and, and the world was going to be complete for me as a teacher, sure. I just knew, I was looking for that and exactly that happened. Just what I needed. So then I went back the next summer and the next summer and the next summer. And if you say Silver Lake, I'll just drive up there right now. Let's just, let's go, <laughs> I, I'm ready. And Silver Lake, let's just take a
0: moment um, and say Silver Lake is the home, sure, of Sister Lorna, but also the Nunhammers, <laughs> <laughs> my current obsession. We'll do a whole podcast on the Nunhammers later. All right, well. Thank you very much, and thank you for being here, and for all the work you do, I'm assuming. what What is your position in the organization here, the IMEA?
1: Uh, for the IMEA, uh, I serve right now as the General Music Division Chair, so I assist in locating talent, such as yourself, Missy, to come and, and <laughs> Rachel, too, to enjoy the conference with us and to uh, share your knowledge with our members. Okay, cool.
0: All right, well, let's move on to your colleague. Andy.
2: Yes, um, I'm Andy Heimlich, and I teach in Carmel, Indiana, which is a suburb on the north side of Indianapolis, and I've been there for 26 years. I teach kindergarten through fifth grade, and at the time when I started teaching, it was required that you had to get, um, renew your license every five years, and you did that by getting uh, credit hours. And so I decided that I wanted to do my ORF levels, and the place where I was thinking about doing that would quit. So I was talking to a person that was connected with our Indiana Kodai Association and I said, if I was going to get my Kodai certification, where should I go? And he said, well, you have to go to Sister Lorna and see her up (laughs) at Silver Lake College. (laughs) They have
0: nun hammers. Yeah, right. So that was in
2: 1996. Hard to believe that that was so many years ago. And I went up and, of course, John was teaching our Solfege class. We had Sister for Methods, but I had John for Solfege. So that was when I first got to know John and was there for four summers getting my certification. Um, and he told us at the time to find what would best be the best fit for us as, as a teacher. So I was using the traditional Kodai sequence and knew of John's materials because he obviously talked about it. But he recommended maybe just teaching with the traditional Kodai way and feel comfortable with that and maybe look back at his materials. So then after that, and then I decided to jump in the ORF world. And then I did my three levels of Orf schulwerk and completed that in 2005. And it was at that time when Anderson University then brought John for the first time to start teaching summer classes. And I took conversational solfege. And that's when really the light bulb turned on <laughs> for me. Because I took conversational solfege, which I had experienced with him. Because that's the, the methodology that he was using in, in CS is what was happening in our solfege classes. Of course, at a very higher level sure. than what we were doing.
0: But same concept. Right,
2: right. But doing high levels of things with modes and so forth. But I knew this this was excellent work. And so um, so since then, uh, after making that switch of using both the First Steps and Conversational Soulfish in my teaching since 2005, I have then since apprenticed with John and I'm certified to, as a teacher trainer in both CS and First Steps.
0: Excellent. That was really interesting. I didn't know that. Yes. Well, thank you for it's sharing. been a wonderful journey. Yeah. It ain't over yet. No. No. We got a long way to go,
2: <laughs> hopefully.
0: Um, all right, well, let's move on to our other friend from out of state, Rachel.
3: Hi, I'm Rachel Grimsby. Um, I'm originally from Virginia. That's uh, where I taught uh, for the past 16 years, 16 years, I think. Um, and I um, and currently am a PhD student at uh, Michigan State University. Uh, focusing on music education. My research interests are um, how students learn, um, especially students uh, with special needs, um, how they learn best, um, how music influences their learning, especially language acquisition, but also teaching um, pre-service teachers and in-service teachers how to work with students with special needs, um, uh, pointing them to curriculum, guiding them, and how they can uh, look at uh, their curriculum through universal design. Um, those are my research interests. Uh, how I came to know John is an interesting story. So I graduated from East Carolina in 2002, got a job working in the school district that I graduated from in uh, Admiral County, and uh, went to Virginia Music Educators Conference my first year. I wasn't gonna go, um, but my elementary school music teacher, Elaine Brown, who was still teaching at Hollymead, where I went, <laughs> said, Rachel, you have to go. And I'm so glad I did, because this guy named John Feierabend, uh was doing all these sessions. And I decided to go, and it was unlike anything I've ever seen. I was like, this isn't what we did in undergrad. What is this? This right. isn't music education. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I'm having so
0: much fun. Um, I love, this isn't music education. <laughs> I'm having so much fun. <laughs> and music education is fun. But it, it always... it. it it should be fun. It should be
3: fun. Uh-huh. And the fact is that it just, the learning sequence seems so effortless for the students. And sure. so I snuck out of his session early, and I ran down to uh, the booth, and I got in line first to buy the <laughs> books um, without my husband knowing. <laughs> like, I spent a little money at the conference. Um, and so I, I got the, orig- like the original First Steps books that were hand-bound wow. in his basement. And um, conversational solfege was published first, in, I think 1998. Mm-hmm. So it was only four year, like four years that I so I I purchased the purple book, and I brought them back to my classroom. And first steps was really what I had the most ease in implementing. So I I, I did a variation of first steps since my my first year. It um, conversational solfege. Um, I didn't have the training. I had just right. gone to a session. So the training really does make all of the difference. Oh, yes. Um, it really helps solidify the processes, but also understand what's happening with the children as they're learning in those processes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 2000, uh, no, 2008, I went to get my master's, and I remembered John. From VMEA, and so I applied to Hart because that's where I knew he was, Mm -hmm. and so in Connecticut. In Connecticut, yep. And I uh, did my master's with him, and just my teaching. Once I had my first steps training and my conversational soulfish training, my my teaching was just so like like Andy said, a light bulb just went off, Mm -hmm. and it was it was wonderful, and I. Um, it really it really changed how I looked at children and how they learn. Um, and, and that's how I, I met John. And that's how I...
0: How interesting. I yes. mean, we've all known each other for a while now, and I don't think I've heard. I think I may have spoken to you about that in one of our, the tea chat that we did, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really interesting. And I, it's so funny, I think everybody has some kind of same, you know... Outline of the same story Mm -hmm. with uh, meeting Dr. Fire Robin and hearing his ideas uh, and this kind of perfect storm of the way he presents it, Mm -hmm. with the fact that it's such solid uh, methodology and philosophy. Yes. I should say first. Um, So, speaking of that, you know, obviously we know well, the four of us sitting here, that John often says he has this 30 year plan for his students. Um, I was hoping that, and, you know, you don't have to go in order, you can just speak as you would like to. Um, When you think of the 30-year plan, um, what do you think of, how did you envision, how do you envision that in your own classrooms when you're teaching other people? How do you talk about that? Um, You know, is it exactly the way John says it? Is there some kind of spin you put on it?
2: So at my school, uh, with third graders, I do what's called an informant's night. Mm -hmm. And it's a night where the parents come, well, the whole family can come, but the children pick one parent to have the parent do everything with their child. So they're doing the solfege, they're doing the rhythm syllables, they're playing xylophones, they're singing, they're playing the recorder. And the main reason why I do that is so the parents actually know what their child is doing, because we know that most children (laughs) tell their parents nothing when they get home. But before we start, I tell the parents that I have a 30-year plan for their child. And, of course, they look at you quizzical like, what are you talking about? And so I go through and explain, pretty much as John says, that I want them to be tuneful, artful, be I want them to be able to be comfortable singing the Star Spangled Banner at ball games and sing lullabies to their children and be able to sing happy birthday. And then I also want them to be able to move their bodies comfortably,
0: Sure.
2: Uh, be able to dance at their wedding and dance at prom and keep the steady beat when All they're right. clapping <laughs> to a piece at Please. some event, um, but also be a person that's going to have expressive Interests in music uh, be the people that's going to buy the tickets to see the ballet and the opera right. and the jazz Support concerts. The arts and right, and have and not only that, but hopefully that they will want to continue to make music right. the rest mm-hmm. of their life, not just you know, Go John, to concerts, right. And John yeah. talks about that. Not every we know this. Not every child goes into performance once they hit middle school, high school. Right. Um, so for some children, the last true focused education and music is going to be fifth grade or sixth grade, depending on your school. Sure, sure. So having that mindset that you're wanting to help them be a musical person for the rest of their life is what I kind of mean by that.
3: Okay. I uh, agree with what Andy um, said. The 30-year plan, um, I the way I speak about it with my parents is very similar to what Andy said. Uh, for my kids, uh, and by I say my kids, my students, Sure. Um, is that music... I tell them why music is important for me, and I tell them about my journey in music. That's great. And then I talk to them and say, you know, every one of you sitting here could be a professional musician if you wanted, but I know that's not the course you're going to take, and that's not why I'm teaching you. The most important thing for me is that you learn to love music no matter what type of music that is, Mm -hmm. whether the classical music speaks to you, or you know jazz music speaks to you or you know you and your parents you know you have a hip-hop ja- uh, jam night you know every Friday night and that's right. what you guys do you know it, it's not it's not the style of music it's not the genre of music what's important is that music of some sort is in your life and my role is just to help you understand why that music speaks to you so that you can communicate to others about why that music speaks to you sure and for me the 30year plan is you know, being able to not just be tuneful, beautiful and artful, but to also understand that music has a place in our lives and why it's important.
0: Interesting. So. It's so it's so interesting to hear like everybody has it's like a just a slight variation, but it's still, mm-hmm. you know, we're all saying the same thing in, in my classroom, there's I try to focus so much on you have every right to be musical. You know, yes. don't let anyone tell you otherwise and that musicality may look um, different from the person sitting next to you and that's perfectly fine but for the rest of your life you know music can be a part of what you do Uh, you should sing when you can Mm -hmm. you know but sing at least sing in your house with your you know with your children in the future which kids love talking about I love when my kids say (laughs) gross one day it won't be quite so gross and you Mm -hmm. will do this and so for me in my classroom that's a big focus which is when you leave here my biggest hope for you is that music doesn't end here for you and while I do want you I definitely want you to at least support the arts by You know, purchasing music and listening to live music and going to the orchestra and going to your favorite band. I hope that you'll do something like in college, maybe you can sing in the choir or you can, you know, you can do that. It's not just for the quote unquote musical people. You are a musical person. Mm -hmm. So what about you, Emily? Do you have...
1: Well, it's kind of similar to what you've all said, uh, the last day of fourth grade, I like to tell the kids at at our little assembly, you know, you're musical beings and whatever kind of music you enjoy, whatever is in your heart, you just go that way and Mm -hmm. dance around the living room and, and sing like no one's listening and just go for it. I always tell them go big or go home because yeah. at the end of the day it's it's you and your music and it's personal and in K1 and 2 especially we ask me sheets and those little subtle things sure. that go home uh, the song tale books we, we talk about those with the grown ups at literacy night things like that just little subtle things but then when we get those uh, the, the beat buddies out or lullaby buddies right, little beanie right. babies everyone picks one which are wonderful. We, and the kids are so tender with them and I say someday you'll be doing this if you have a, a, a child of your own or if it's your niece your nephew your babysitting these are skills and the light bulbs go off at that moment because every child knows a baby yep every one of them and then they want to know more and sometimes we'll even do the the finger plays and things with the the beat buddy because again oh boys and girls what they do in the old days right little children had to be entertained and these are some of the things they did so if you know anybody who needs to be entertained right you Mm. have a skill you go home and share that so that's awesome um, yeah and you can even say
0: you can even say um, I, I found myself in the past few years really encouraging the kids to do things at recess. Yes. So mm-hmm. even yes. today, right. um, or when I see it, I mean, they think I'm a freak, because if, I, if they're in like a morning lineup, we call it, before they go into mm-hmm. their classrooms, and I see kids doing like a counting out game, I'm like going over clapping my hands like, oh, look at you making music, I'm like, okay, Dr. Strong. <laughs> um, but I'll say, you know, we just did chicken on a fence post, and they love it. And I'm like, why not, instead of playing football, and where right. everybody fights yeah. and play football coach I, don't get mad at me I'm not saying don't play football I'm <laughs> saying mix it up every once in a while do this game where you can actually run yep. you know go outside right. and when they come back they're so happy they're like we played at recess yeah I'm
2: always excited that my students want to play a game again with me yes. but I also say you know just because it's with me I mean, you don't have to only do it with right. me. I say to right. them as an example, you don't learn that 2 plus 2 equals 4 in your math class. And then and you then go to the <laughs> grocery store and you say, well, I can't have these apples right. together. I'm not in,
0: right, I'm not in math right. class. So
2: why can't you do music in other places besides?
0: Right. With, with, and with saying stuff? to them, you know, music function first outside of a classroom. That's right. The classroom is just us trying to help um, where we wish that this was happening everywhere else. We know it's not. So I'm just trying to, I'm like kick-starting you. Go do this outside and that's I like when they come back and they're like I was listening in the car and that music was in double meter and you're like, yes. <laughs> yes. I, um, say
3: oh no just my students um I would encourage them as well to go out to recess and you mentioned chicken on the fence post and that was one of my students favorite game and oh. I had Um, Two rubber chickens, one that was mine that no one could use because (laughs) a student bought that for me. Um, But the other one was one that they could come by. They knew it didn't matter if I was teaching, it didn't matter if I was planning. They just knocked on the door and all they had to do was point and they could take the rubber chicken out to recess and then bring it back out. (laughs) Stealing that idea. Yes, That is a great idea. You had
2: a designated spot Um, for the chicken in your room. I had a
3: designated spot for the chicken in the room. That's great. Designated spot for the hula hoop, designated spot for the ball. That is a
0: good idea.
3: And I often, when the weather was nice, would take them outside so that they could know that music can happen in any space. Not just in my room, but outside. And as you said, Missy, encouraging them like, you like the song, you're having a lot of fun, why don't you go home and teach it to your, your parents, or yes. go home and teach it to your yep. siblings, or, right. you know, you have cousins coming over, you have friends in the neighborhood, especially uh, some of the schools that I taught, our, our schools were so large that we had two music teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, like, your friends in this class may not have played this game, so, so why don't it. you teach it, and that's yours. Right. And, you know, going outside to recess, like, or, or going through, my favorite thing is going through the cafeteria, and you know, they finish lunch because it takes them like five minutes to <laughs> inhale their food, right? And then they're sitting there for 10 or 15 minutes and they're doing the hand clapping games or they're That's singing great. the songs. Or, you know, my favorite one of my favorite memories is you know, walking by a table of second graders who just learned minister's cat, <laughs> and although <laughs>
2: and, and
3: they're ma- having it go around the table, and it's cacophonous in the you know, the cafeteria, right. but. They're just so beautiful and beautiful because they're in, it's like they're in this own little musical bubble. Right. And they were so focused on it. Like, they didn't even see me walk by. I was just like, <laughs> <"What?"> <laughs> it, Things like that. That's why we do what we do. Yeah. Is, you it's know, like
0: the 30-year plan happening now.
3: Yes. And in you front see of you. that and you're like, oh, they're going to take this and it's going to be with them forever. Right. And they're going to be on the floor and they're going to play with their children or their grandchildren. And you know that that music is going to, Continue and it's just really
1: beautiful. And we're helping preserve childhood because life moves mm. so quickly these days, and yeah. everyone is so connected yes. electronically. It's nice to be connected emotionally and socially outside yeah. and mm-hmm. in all those places, and to give them something to do to connect further and just to keep childhood going. Right, especially at
0: um, the levels at which we teach. Yes. You know, if if we can kind of hook them in, you know, now, uh, besides the fact that neurologically it's a great time we have the saying in my class about every January I have to talk to the fourth graders who are the oldest kids in my class and I say you I sit them down and I say you are a nine-year-old like you are nine maybe you're 10 you're nine you're a child um, and children play that's what children do Mm -hmm. I know that you're getting mixed messages uh, in this culture and I love technology so that's not you know I'm not saying I hate technology and all of that is bad, but I want you to know that childhood should be about playing because not to sound too much like an old lady, but this is this is it. That's in a right. few years yep. it, you are not going to be encouraged to play anymore, but in this classroom you will you will be a child uh, and I will protect that for you because soon you're moving past it.
3: Well, and it's not just the social benefits of play. Play is how children learn. Absolutely. Right. I mean, and yeah. without that ability to, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge, uh, I guess I could call myself a social con- a constructivist. You know, knowledge is socially constructed. You know, mm-hmm. by engaging in conversation, that is where, where we, we make meaning. You know, we share our knowledge and they share their knowledge and we come to a a shared understanding of what, you know, this is. Mm -hmm. And without that element of play, um, they not only not know how to share knowledge and make meaning with other other individuals, they're missing an element of of creativity that is essential in. In problem-solving and in being able to um, work through emotions, like we're doing so much more than teaching music. Right. You know, we're, we're teaching our students how to be human.
1: And or, how the
0: world works. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Chicken on a Fence Post, for <laughs> teaching us about how the world
3: works. All you need in life is a good rubber chicken and you're going to have
0: a good time. Man, I wish that were true. <laughs> <laughs> life would be so much easier. Maybe I should try it. Just have a rubber chicken. Just watch the airport with a rubber chicken. <laughs> There's that lady in a rubber chicken. That's the subtitle yep. of the yes. episode. right That's there. Right. All you need in life is, life is, a, rubber is a rubber chicken. chicken. Yes. Um, I asked the same question uh, to Dr. Firehobin, so don't feel pressure. <laughs> oh, no pressure. No
3: <laughs> pressure.
0: Um, I love the kind of concept of elevator pitch, mm-hmm. which is, you know, anything that you have to kind of describe to somebody uh, with an intention to, like, provoke them or or get their interest. Um, it's funny because today, at the end of the neuroscience session that I did, there was this guy who's like, give me the elevator pitch on why I need to talk to the young, the people who teach the young people in our district, I mean, he was really good. He was, he loved the session. But he's like, I'm a high school teacher and I wanna get my, you know, elementary people on board. I'm like, oh, here we go. (laughs) You're gonna regret you asked this. So if somebody came to you, because there's tons of people who have not heard of First Steps in Music, what do you think is kind of the quintessential thing if you were talking, let's just say you're talking to a music teacher. Why do you use First Steps in Music over and above something else?
2: Anybody? Research. Research. Research.
0: So for you, that's
2: a... That's a big one. Sure. I mean, there's more to it than that. But to know that it has been shown that this particular method, based on a philosophy that is very grounded, and seeing the results that these children have is amazing. And it's not just what John has said, but just in my own experience. And when I started, I mean, that's my own research. Right. I mean, here's where my students were before teaching great, solid teaching, yep. but then changing to using the first steps of music. Unbelievable.
0: Right. So, just anecdotally, you're seeing right. massive improvement.
2: And just as a case in point, I couldn't ask for this any better. I did a fifth grade musical. My assistant principal got up just to say a word, and he said, It's very obvious that the children that are on the stage behind us, fifth graders, only got this way because of where they started back in kindergarten first grade. Wow. Oh, and I thought, amazing. I mean, here's a guy, he wasn't a musician. Right. And he could even see yeah. where it all started and where, and it's just all built and it's so yeah. solid. How can you, you can't, yeah, you I've, can't say it's not good.
0: Yeah, I, I was just talking to somebody and I said, I gotta tell you, you know, I've, I'll never forget somebody told me so it must be 16 years ago, like somebody said, oh, Missy's on another bandwagon. First it was music learning theory. Then it was, now it's this. And maybe a year ago he saw me and he's like, okay, I I give up. You're, You're
2: not on a bandwagon. You're actually, you're
0: just in there. I was saying to somebody, I have never, I've had people say, oh, I struggle with this or I struggle with this, but I love this methodology. Never have I had a person come to me and say, you know, I tried first steps. It just, meh. Right. wasn't. Too. Mm-hmm. And you would think at this juncture with the amount of people I've seen and talked to, yeah. somebody right. would say, what's wrong with me? You know, I'm not, I'm not doing it right. I just don't like it. Everybody, it, it's just so simple. They're like, it just makes sense. I think that's mm-hmm. why you have right. those light bulb mm-hmm. moments with John, because he tapped into something. Emily?
1: Seemingly effortless assimilation. Mm-hmm. There you I, go. It just the the flow, the pacing. It's developmentally appropriate. We encourage the correct use of the child voice. Mm-hmm. We we take care of the voice. We have vocal health built into everything right. we do. We start with warm ups. We go through fragments. We the creative element of improvisation, the joy of moving through the room and in space, uh, the fact that there is something for every single child in that room to enjoy and to embrace. Even if they don't like every part of the lesson, we're changing in about four minutes, three minutes, right. five minutes. There's Hang something on. coming up. <laughs> right. Exactly. My principal once during an observation, she said, not one minute of that 45-minute class yeah. is wasted. No. No. It, transitions are, they're, they're effortless as well yeah. because you're yeah. doing something as you're moving to the next item. And the flow and the sequence of the lesson is just brilliant it's something
0: interesting about that because um i think i I consult with a lot of people who are who will say things like um you know my principal said this about the transition and you know do you talk in between i'm like there's no time for talking it's like now we're doing this now but even if i were if i only said now we'll do this the kids love it even if I, i don't need to be like everything we're doing today is about squirrels and so I'm going to transition you through a little story I made because ain't nobody got time for that as far as I'm concerned. Right, correct. But it's so much fun. I mean, to the kid, it's just a bunch of singing and playing. Right. You know, they, they're, it doesn't matter if you make the transitions, you know, totally make sense and you go from a frog to a squirrel to a, you know, it's just fun. It's just we go to music class and we have fun.
2: One of the things I love that John says is that what we do is not childish, it is childlike. childlike. Yeah. And we want as we were saying earlier, being the playful part, we want them to experience those childlike experiences and being that all this repertoire that we're using is stood the test of time. Right. of showing that sense of wonder mm. as John likes to talk about.
3: Yeah.
2: It makes a win-win. sense.
3: Yeah. Seeing teachers transform when I'm doing uh, workshops on first steps or, or teaching certification and, and you see the teacher who comes in and, and they're tired or they've been misplaced from and I don't want to say misplaced but like their band job is cut and now you're sure. teaching kindergarten right. and they're like of course. it's Happens not that I don't want to do this but like I don't know and they're scared or they're yeah. burnt out Good point. and they come into the course and by the end of it they have this passion and this fire to go and like Reach children. Like, right. That is one reason why First Steps, I'm like, it will light a fire on me. Absolutely. Because I know it's what Absolutely. it did for me. And then also what it does for the children because First Steps is all about the children. It is very, I, I don't even want to use the word adaptable. It is universal. Sure. If you look at the way that the curriculum is designed, any child, regardless of their, their language background, their um, their, um, their home background, their, their learning differences. I mean, we all have learning differences. Differences are not, they're the norm. Variability right. is the norm, it's not the exception. And it, children can come in and they fit in. Like there's no, well I can't do this, or I can't do that, because any response is the right response. Right. And no matter if a child is developmentally delayed, or developmentally advanced, this curriculum, this, this philosophy, it embraces every child mm. so that every child can succeed in their way. Right.
0: At their level.
3: At their level. Mm. Absolutely. And so, you know, it, it helps children find confidence in themselves. I've seen children go from selective mute to... I can't get this person to stop doing Arioso, (laughs) which is great, and you're like, okay, well, it's been 45 seconds, (laughs) that was lovely, we're just gonna give Johnny a turn now. That's right. Um, I've seen students who, they light up when they come into the room because they know it's about them. Like, there's no, they don't have to take a test on it. And and we're assessing them, like, we're constantly measuring their growth and first steps, but it, it just, it brings joy because it's also music making with the children, Yeah, you know, I, I get to be a part of that, and that's my elevator pit.
0: Yeah, well, that's a powerful one. I think it taps into who we are as humans, uh, from whether we're very young children, whether you're, you know, you have an infant, um, bigger kids, adults... If
3: sixth graders can play cut the cake, yes, okay, like,
0: <laughs> right.
3: My well, I've had a variety of, of, of backgrounds um, in in teaching, but when sixth graders come in and they're like, "Hey, Ms. Grimsby," like, yeah, can we can we play that like cake game? And I'm like, <laughs> right, really? Okay, yeah. well, yeah. let's get through this in the last five minutes. They are yours, yep. as Andy said. They're childlike. It's not childish, you know, it's, they get to shed what culture puts on them, you know, everything that the media is throwing at them about what it is to be cool. And they step in our classrooms, it is safe, and it is supported. Hey, you're 11. Right. Hey, you're 12. Like, let's just play. Yeah, have fun. (laughs) Yeah, and they're learning.
0: Right, I mean. right. And they don't know that. I mean, they're not like, we're coming (laughs) here because we know that this is, you know, developmentally viable, you know, (laughs) they're like, Dr. Strong's class is fun. That's right. You know, we play Mm -hmm. games. And I think that it's not so much that John took some, a bunch of research and then built a program on top of it, so much as John tapped into what is true about children, right? And the research supports it because it's true.
2: Exactly.
1: Right?
0: And so, you know, when I say research proven, practitioner driven, based on John saying that, I think that's one of the most powerful parts, or or that just encompasses everything. It is driven in a sense by what the research says, but the practitioners are out there saying, it works, my kids love it. They're becoming musical. And so anybody who's thinking about first steps, you know, there are a lot of things in the world that I feel like, you know, sometimes I can recommend them to some people and maybe not to other people. It's nice to have something in your life where you're like, yeah, do this. Oh, you teach college? Yeah, do some variation on
2: this. And the other thing just came to my mind is that because you're using this program and you're seeing your students grow, you yourself are going to grow as a musician. Yes. I, that's something that happened for me when I started working with John, is that art part, mm-hmm. as John likes to say, the expressive qualities of how I introduce a poem, how I introduce a song, how I vary my tempo and my inflection – not just having the students learn a song, but the actual artistic part, which we sometimes forget in music, is that it's an art. Right. Um, a sound art. And I just know that when I'm enjoying it, boy, the kids pick up on that. Oh, yeah. And so if I'm feeling as though my music needs are being fed in the classroom...
0: They're going to pick up they're on They're going to pick up on that. Right.
2: It's like, hey, pass that feedback yeah. over here. It's my turn to get something out. <laughs> right. I don't know if you see where I
0: said um, this past week the, um I was doing the Speegy, and I heard two second graders like kind of whispering, like, "She is way into this one. <laughs> she loves this yeah. one." <laughs> and I'm like, "You're right. I do. It's fine." Yeah. And that's why I said, you know, it has to be delicious after all those repetitions because you're gonna be repeating it as a, a teacher, whole lot. yep.
3: And not and the students too. And you know, Andy, you really hit on something because for me, it offered me freedom as a teacher. You know, there's. We go through student teaching programs and you know, you've gotta have this and you've gotta have that and you've gotta be this and you've gotta mm-hmm. be that and there's so much freedom to just be joyful yes. in your teaching mm-hmm. and I'm having fun. It's not work for me. Right. I'm sure. getting up and I'm get in the morning right. and I get to school and I get to sit on the floor with kindergartners and first graders right. and sometimes second graders and you know what? Even one year third graders because they weren't ready right. for notational literacy. and literacy yeah. and so the first steps can, like, expand where you need it. It can fit... Oh, anyways. Yeah. Um, I just... You know, I think it, it. Yeah. Um, I get to sit on the floor and and make music with children.
0: Right. And by the way, um, side note, I, I don't sit on the floor anymore. <laughs> so if you don't, no, don't feel like I can't do first steps. I'm just saying.
3: No, you do not have to sit on the floor with first steps. I just... Want
0: I mean, I sit teachers. on the floor. I just don't get back up again for a very long <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs>
1: and there is such a creative element for the teacher it is so satisfying to to take piece and do so many different things with it with children and then feed off of them and things mm. come to you at mm. that moment is yes. when we do the 4 by 4 method which is the four repetitions within four lessons you do need a lot of ways to present sure. something sure. but my word the the ideas that just come to you and uh, the the props you can pull in the the joy and yeah. just it's it's Unlimited. Yeah, and, wow. it, and it
0: comes and it comes to you. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, I was just thinking this because you get a lot of questions like that for people who haven't done it a lot. Like, yep. how are you supposed to do this four times? And like, you know what's so funny? I don't. I never think about that because it comes to me as I do it because it's a natural thing. That's so true. Yes. The longer you do it, you're not counting the repetitions yeah. anymore. Yeah. I used to have to write like, okay, first do it with the puppet then do this and now I'm just like like I'll be sitting there doing it and I'll think oh this would be fun if I grab this stuffed animal. Yeah.
3: The fun also is allowing the kids to tell you what to do. It is very open to uh, child student agency yeah. and so the children can go oh Miss Grimsby could we do it like this? Right? And I'm like oh, done it five times let's just do it five times more <laughs> and so they exactly. get excited and when they're coming up with those ideas like they are sold Yep. like lock stock and barrel they, got they are they are totally ready to go when mm-hmm. when you know and they'll go through my puppet bag like i have things <laughs> strategically placed like they know if it's in a certain area they can go <laughs> well and of course this was when i was teaching in a classroom um, now i'm you know working on my phd but it's just fun when they get excited a little kindergartner goes i, I asked what type of voices should we use and this little this little boy goes scrims i think we should use a low voice for the grandpa and a high voice for the
1: grandma i'm like dude <laughs> look at you making connections right 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 it's just it's amazing and the chances for children to be creative not only in oh, arioso yeah. but in movement mm-hmm. exploration and wow it's just unlimited we're, we're asking our children to vocally improvise yep. as kindergartners <laughs> that is huge the thing that
0: many college music majors can't do
1: Oh, right. and I remember being paralyzed oh, yes. by um, improvisation. Oh, yeah. And if I had I, I had to do it all I'm over again. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, an, I'm
0: going to end by saying this because I just spoke to two people who asked me, two high school people, how do we get young kids to, to be the way you're talking about this tuneful, beatful, powerful I said, I think you're looking for some magic bullet. I have one for you. Make music with them. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, that's it. And I said, make music with them, play with them, sing with them, move with them, dance with them. But
3: not just in elementary school. Like no, 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 school school absolutely. But that. he was High saying schoolers. his
0: thing was, how can I tell my the feeder oh, the people, okay. and you know what should they do? Like he thought I was going to say just. And I can say, get this first steps in music. But what I'm boiling it down to mm-hmm. you is make music with them engage musically with them and then when it's the right time catch them for notational literacy right Right. um that's it it's it's not magic it's how children learn and how human musical development works that's why first steps is such a fantastic tool and pragmatically There are three years of music lessons in the back of the book if you want to use them. Right. You know, when you have a band person panicking, saying, I just got moved, you know, I have to teach, I I feel good saying to them, I'm here, I can actually solve this problem. There are so many problems I can't solve in the world. I'm going to give you this book, and I don't always believe in the concept of just giving a book to somebody, but here I do, because this is going to change. Change your life.
3: The book, like, it is so as Emily said, effortless. Like, you can open it up and you have a pretty good idea. Like, yeah. the training is necessary. Like, it Absolutely. really brings everything home. But until you can get that training, like, if you can just purchase the book, yep. like, it is a really well-thought-out guide guideline. Yeah, and,
0: and it, because it's so intuitive, uh-huh. I think everybody can at least get started on it um, and get going and feel really good about it. And
1: I encourage teachers who are new to First Steps to follow the lessons as they're written because we we know John sequenced them and they are sequenced correctly. And then once you get through uh, a year or a semester or whatever time, you, you know which ones you're gonna yep. add something to. You've mm-hmm. got 45 minutes, not 30. Yeah. You're gonna take this, and, and like John says, it's it's training wheels. Yep. And then when you take off on your own, you're writing your own lessons and um, doing them to your satisfaction.
0: So what we're saying is First Steps is good. Yes, I think. Do it's we? Are we? Are we at a? Are we at a consensus? Oh, I don't here? know. Is it good? I guess Seems it's okay. Great. I mean, there's some other stuff you there's could do. <laughs> well, Can we anyway. Go with that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being willing to sit down. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you with a microphone in front of me or without it. Uh, I'm glad we're recording it though, so hopefully we'll encourage other people. And I look forward to speaking to you. Uh, in future podcasts about different stuff. We haven't even tapped into the eight-step workout. We haven't, and so there's plenty to mine ahead. I hope that we've encouraged people who have begun using first steps, you know, to keep moving forward, those who are considering it, that they can feel really good about it. We've given them some reasons uh, why that is. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. us. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that an interesting conversation? I really enjoyed talking with Andy and Rachel and Emily, and I look forward to talking with them more, as well as our other great-themed teacher trainers in the future. We're really lucky to have this rich variety of master teachers in our organization, and lucky that they're willing to share their experiences and insights here on the podcast. We're ending the episode with Ask Me Anything, where you can ask me anything, within reason, about Dr. Fire fame, music teaching, or me in my classroom or life as a music teacher. And today, our question comes to us from Owen H. He asks, what do you struggle with most in your classroom? <laughs> uh, this is a tough one to answer, because unfortunately, there are more than a couple things with which I struggle. Um, the main kind of everyday classroom struggle that comes to mind is a kind of personal pet peeve of mine. And that is the monotony that for me often accompanies doing the same lesson four times in a row. So in my school, for example, on Monday, I teach four third grade classes. And I also teach four fourth grade classes in succession. Now I know a lot of you feel jealous about that. And there are some fantastic benefits to that. But for me, And I think this just has to do with my personality. It is difficult to give the same level of enthusiasm the third and fourth time delivering a lesson that I do the first two times or sometimes, I'll be honest, the first time. (laughs) It's also hard to deliver the same lesson to four classes in a row when each one of them, like students, have such a drastically different personality and aptitudes despite the fact that they're all in the same grade level. I constantly have to remind myself that each class, no matter where they're on the schedule, deserves my best. So I work myself up to get it done before they walk in the door. What's great about that kind of repetition, though, is that the lesson and my teaching get more efficient as I go, which is a great byproduct of doing the same lesson multiple times. I also wanted to talk about something pretty real to me lately, and that is the importance of parents who are truly supportive and encouraging to those that teach their children. These are the parents who are not only obviously involved and concerned with their child's success in life and in school, but those supportive parents, and you know who I'm talking about, who treat teachers not just with respect, but with true care and sympathy for what we have to deal with all day, and the fact that we also are human beings with Um, lives outside of school. This year, there's a parent, for example, who kind of embodies this to me. She's really special to me and my colleagues. Her children are wonderful. Not just well-behaved kids, but kind, good-natured, very funny, uh, loving, and respectful. And she herself has been the same way, both to me and the rest of our faculty. There's no doubt that This parent loves her kids and would do anything for them. But the fact that she both highly values the staff of our elementary school and frequently tells us how much she values us has been of particular encouragement to me this year. And I want to just give her a shout out by name because she's going through a tough time as I record this, and I want her to know how much her own kindness and generosity and the way that she has raised her sons has made an impact on those around her. So thank you, Mrs. Greco. We are very blessed to have you at Fleetwood, and we are praying for you. Thank you, Owen, for your question. If you have questions you'd like me to answer or ideas for future podcasts or just general questions, please email the show at podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to find out more about Dr. Fireobin and his programs and resources, visit www.giamusic.com slash The Tuneful, Beatful, Artful Music Teacher podcast is edited by Jeremy Strong, who also arranged the theme music, which was performed by Owen Robert Strong. My name is Missy Strong, and I am the host and executive producer of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope it was helpful and encouraging to you. Please tune in for our next episode, and if you like the podcast, I hope that you would share it with others, give us a positive rating, and subscribe to it. Not in that order. Any order, really, will work. And in the meantime, keep doing all you can to create a more tuneful, beatful, artful world.